Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Black Fashion History, the podcast that teaches you everything you need to know about the contributions of black people worldwide to the fashion industry. It's black history, but make it fashion. And of course, I am your host, Taniqua Russ. Now today I'm excited because we have an interview. It's been a while, a long, long time since I've done an interview on this podcast. I can't even remember my last interview. I think it was last May. May 2020 was the last time I did an interview. But I know you all love to hear the stories of these amazing fashion legends through their own words. And that's the reason why interviews are also my favorite because I just sit there and listen to all of their cool stories, listen to their life, their legacy, their career. And I get an opportunity to introduce you all to people who you may not have heard about. So today is no different. I'm excited to share with you all my conversation with Corrine Simpson, but before we get into that, I'm going to give you all just a brief overview about Miss Corrine. Corrine Simpson's career began as a photojournalist covering political dignitaries, cultural icons, musicians, athletes, and special events in New York, the Middle East, Africa, and Europe. She became one of a handful of female photographers on regular assignment covering the fashion collections in Paris and New York. Her images have appeared in Vogue, Essence, Miss Magazine, Paris Match, The New York Times, The Village Voice, and numerous books and periodicals. In 1982, between photo assignments, Corrine Simpson began designing and creating jewelry. She wore her original necklaces in Paris while photographing the various fashion collections, and her designs garnered the attention of many fashion editors, magazines, and even designer Carolina Herrera. And in 1990, she launched her signature piece and collection, The Black Cameo. And if you aren't aware, cameos are those jewelry that's often carved and depicts a profile or a face. And they're typically in a vintage style. And if you still can't picture what a cameo is based on my description, make sure to follow us on Instagram at Black Fashion History Podcast or check out the website blackfashionhistory.com and you'll see a picture of a cameo and I promise you once you see one you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. But it's important to keep that in mind as I share my conversation with Miss Corrine because it's going to be really important. And now let's get into the career and impact of Corrine Simpson. So how did your career begin as a photojournalist? Wow. Okay. Let me think. <laughs> how did it begin? Oh, boy. Uh, well, I was working as a as a secretary raising my two children, and I knew that I could not keep doing this forever. So I, my mind told me, well, you know, you need a career. You don't need a job. You need a career. You know, at, at certain times, you know, at this age in my life, years ago, you were encouraged to get a job all the time. Get a job. But a job isn't what I, I wanted a career. And so I just, I thought writing would be a good career, lifestyle writing. And I, I was published by different magazines. But then I did not like the photographs that accompanied my articles because I saw people much differently than the photographs 
that I was given by them, uh, by the subject. So I decided, well, I was also freelance modeling at the time, working as a secretary, doing fashion shows and so forth. And I knew a lot of photographers, so I called one of them up, uh, Walter Johnson. He's since, he's deceased at this time. He's a Vietnam veteran that had, um, the disease that they had at, at that time, but he was a brilliant, brilliant photographer and chemist. And I asked him, could I borrow a camera? And I remember he came over to my house, loaned me this camera, and in a few minutes, like a half an hour, he showed me how to work the camera. You know, with the meter, the metering, because we didn't have digital at that time. Uh, digital was not invented, of course, back in the 70s. So I had to learn to read the meter and how to do it. And that's how I started. Uh, oh, here's a very important point. So I was working with Bye Higginson. She had a magazine called Unique New York. I don't know if you ever heard of her magazine. It was a very popular magazine at the time. and it was a little slim, long, cute magazine, too. Very nice. And I called her up. I didn't even know who she was. I called her up and asked to speak uh, to her in her office. And I told her I had an idea for her. I would like, I was dating a bartender at the time. I said, why don't you do an article on bartenders? I'm dating a bartender. And I would like to photo, no, I would like to write about the bartenders in New York, and she said, that sounds like a great idea, so she said, go ahead, and, you know, she told me how long it should be, blah, 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 I wasn't really taking pictures then, and that's how I started, that's really how I started, Taniqua, yeah, and I was freelancing, I was still holding a job, because I couldn't give up my job, I was still holding right. a job, and on the side, I was doing my articles, and eventually, I became one of the editors of the magazine, and and she told me, you will now be one of the editors, and I didn't even know what that meant. Of course, an editor is an idea person. I always brought ideas to the magazine, so this is what I've learned over the years is to have ideas, always have ideas. The ideas would grow into other things, so that I became not only a photojournalist for the magazine, I was directing the creativity of the magazine. So I was very excited to do that. So what made you pick that instead of going into modeling as your career at the time? Because modeling, I wanted to do something more creative than modeling. I mean, modeling is creative. I just took little jobs. I knew I wasn't meant to be a model. Let's just put it that way. I'm always battling the weight, the weight factor. I didn't want to, you know, you have to keep skinny. And I didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to, I just was over that. I didn't want to do that. I wanted to do something. I like to be behind the scenes, behind the camera. I don't want to necessarily be in front of the camera. That's why. And I liked, I like to see my name in print. I love that. I got off on that. Corrine Simpson by Corrine Simpson. I love that. So I loved assignments. I started working for a, diff a lot of different publications. And, um, oh, that will lead into my part of the design work. This is going to lead. It's a good segue because I was working 
for these different publications, but the money would take a long time from publication to get to me, you know? I I was a mother with two children, no support from my ex-husband. He just... He just, uh, after the marriage, he just went on his merry way having fun and whatever he was doing. And uh, he never, very, it basically was no money. I wasn't getting any money from my ex-husband. And one day I realized, Corrine, you have to forget about taking this man to court. It was wasting my time. And you have to realize that you are the breadwinner. You are the breadwinner. Stop pounding this man for this money you you know I needed that extra money but I even with a full-time job but I realized that I would have to get have a career that made money so one of my friends was very very creative uh, uh, guy he said to me let's go down to the village and sell all our old things everybody's doing it like, they would throw their blankets out. And I said, well, I love jewelry. So I had a lot of jewelry, like broken pieces or pieces I didn't need any, didn't want anymore. So we did, I did this for like a couple of Saturdays, and I made some money. I was just selling jewelry that I didn't want anymore. But after that, I ran out of stuff to sell. So Richard, Richard, his name was Richard DeGoosey, Richard said to me, well, why don't we make some jewelry? <laughs> why don't we make some jewelry? And I said, well, I don't know how to make any damn jewelry. But I said, let me go down to the, the <laughs> go down to the bead district. And I said, where do you get the parts? And he, he he said, down here. So he went his way and I went my way. And then I it was just fortuitous. I met this guy at one of the stores and he showed me how to do some basic little things that's so I used to always just make necklaces because that was easy. And they would sell. They would sell. I would sell them on the street in the village, like at the place around in East Village, right? Mm-hmm. And that would bring in extra money. I would only sell one day a week, and that would bring in extra money to add to my salary. Because, you know, you need you need money when you have kids. They got to have be fed. They need this. They need that. So I needed that money. So that worked very well for me. Oh, but you know what, Tanika, I just forgot something. I, years before I had kids, I, I, were, I was part of a religion that was, uh, you know, the Jehovah's Witness religion. And I was mm-hmm. doing, I was doing missionary work in Puerto Rico. And the way I survived in Puerto Rico, was I would buy jewelry wholesale and sell it from door to door. So I always had this connection with jewelry. I did very well. I I I only had to go out one day a week, and I made an, I made enough money to do the the basic missionary work that I was doing at the time. And I said, so that sort of uh, cemented my love of jewelry. You know, I I was selling. I would I I learned enough Spanish that I could talk in Spanish speak in Spanish to my customers, and I would just knock on their door and open my bag, and the women would love it. They said, oh, I love that. I love that. How much is this? How much is that? So I was, I, I could sell jewelry. So then when I became a photographer, that uh, I decided and I was selling on the street, 
with Richard, and then I decided, oh, this would be great uh, for me to make my own pieces, and that's how I got started. Mm -hmm. But, of course, I didn't know how to do anything else, so I went to school. I went to the School <laughs> of Visual Arts. I went to FIT, the school of, uh, um, Parsons School of Design. I would take little courses. I didn't go for a degree. If I wanted to learn how to work with metal, I would go to Parsons. I would... I studied under Deborah Aguado, who is a silversmith, and I would learn just enough that I could do what I wanted to do in that particular field, you know, earrings or whatever I needed. And every time I made money, I would invest it to take a course at, at one of the design schools. But I never got a degree in design. And you know what's funny, Taniqua? And you know what I realized? Um, I'm trying to remember exactly what I was trying to say here. I lost my train of thought. Uh, I went to the school. I learned just enough. Every time I made a nice amount of money, I would invest it back in my business, meaning back in myself. And every time I did that, I made more money. Every time I took a course, I, le I made even more money than I was making before. You know what I mean? I am fascinated with the fact that you just get out there and get to it. You say, you know, I need to make money, so I'm going to sell some jewelry. I don't know how to make jewelry, so I'm going to learn how to make jewelry. And then right. now you're starting, you know, uh, you're designing jewelry to sell. And then even with your journalism work, it's like, I don't like these pictures, so I'm going to take my own. I don't know how to take right. pictures, but I'll learn. And I, I'm obsessed with that. <laughs> Well, that's what we have to do in life. Yeah. But, you know, when I tell people, for example, in my design work, I tell people I never got a degree in jewelry design. I never did. I never got a degree in anything that I'm doing. But one thing I learned is you have to learn to speak the language. You have to know enough that you can go to a, a, a specialist in your field and you have to know the language and tell them what you're trying to achieve, but know the language of that field. You know, know what this means, that means, blah, blah, blah. So I would learn enough that I could sit down with someone who's an expert at it and tell them what I'm trying to achieve. And uh, when I spoke at the Smithsonian one time about that, and this young lady came over to me and she said, Oh, you really opened the door for me because I thought you had to have a degree in this in the field to to succeed. I said, no. Do you know how many multimillionaires there are who never went to business school, who never went to Wharton School of uh, Finance or you know whatever Harvard School of Business? You know what I'm saying? People never. You don't have to have these things. You just have to have. I think you just have to have the idea, the concept, because you can always go to someone who's an expert, sit down with them, pay them to do what it is that you need done, and move on. You know what I'm saying? Not that I, you know, I made things by hand. I have a studio in my apartment. I can sit there and make things, but I can also have a concept and go to a model maker, go to this person, and get done what I need to do. So. That's important. And in photography, I knew I got to know a lot of photographers. And any time I had a, a question on how to do something, they've always been helpful. You know, but, you know, you got to know, ask the right person, of course. You know, somebody you think that's 
amenable towards you and ask them, I have a problem. Can you help me with this problem? And people are very wonderful like that. They will help you. When I got the camera and I started taking pictures, I was only taking pictures with available light because I didn't know how to use lights. I didn't know how to use the flash. I knew nothing. And I said to myself, oh, God, people were calling me up. Like, for example, I photographed Vanessa Williams. Vanessa Williams got married. I think it was her first husband, or sec- I think her second husband. And a friend of mine was her makeup artist, and he invited me to the wedding. He said, Corrine, why don't you come? Vanessa's getting married. Why don't you? I said, oh, okay. He said, bring your camera. Well, I photographed her wedding. I wasn't the official photographer, but I was one of the photographers. You know she had an official photographer at the wedding. I wasn't it. Yeah. But my photographs got published because I was working with different mat- uh, different newspapers. Do you know what happened after that? People were calling me to do weddings. <laughs> and, I, and I told them, I'm not a wedding photographer. <laughs> I'm not a wedding photographer. And they said, well, you did Vanessa Williams' wedding. <laughs> and I said, that was that was a fluke, honey. They thought I was the official photographer. I wasn't. So I had to learn different things, and I would call different photographers who were very, very helpful to me, you know. And I had to learn to run my own tests. I learned all of this by, my, you know, with the help of wonderful photographers. One, Frank Stewart was my first teacher. He is now one of the chief photographers at Lincoln Center, who's a black man. And he was my darkroom technician teacher, my darkroom teacher. So I learned from really great photographers. Mm-hmm. So when you started designing jewelry, were you doing that while still working as an editor? No. You see, making jewelry is not the same as designing jewelry. It's two different things. I was making jewelry, you know, sitting there making things. And there's money in that, but not as much as being in production. And I, after so many years of making things that people were buying, I mean, really. In fact, I moved from selling down in the village to selling on 57th Street right in front of Bendel's. Remember Bendel's? Henri Bendel's? Bendel's Department Store. It's on Fifth Avenue yeah. now, but it used to be on 57th Street. And my mind told me, you got to get out of the village because you got to be around well-to-do women. And all those women on 57th Street have money. So what I would do is throw out a, a black velvet cloth once a week. I would uh, two or three days a week. I would make jewelry. And then I would throw out my velvet cloth and sell in front of Bendel's. And honey, that's when I then I would that's when I started making real money. I mean, I would do very very well, and I was uh, and uh, more money than I even thought of. And then I was saving it because I said, oh, I'm gonna buy a house or something with this money, you know. And I was like saving it in my apartment, <laughs> which was stupid. And then my building went co-op. And I was an insider in the building on West End Avenue. I lived on West End and 89th, which was a very upscale neighborhood. I had a small, small apartment, two bedrooms, but it went co-op. And with the money that I made on the street, I was able to put a down payment on uh, and and be a co-op and buy pro- and buy shares in the co-op. So I was able nice. to yes. So if I hadn't done this hustle, Taniqua. 
If I had not done this hustle, I wouldn't have been able to buy my apartment. And people were calling me up saying, can we, can I buy your apartment in the, the neighborhood? Because they knew the building. I said, and my daughter, who's very, very smart, she said, Mommy, we've got to buy this apartment. She was like 11 years old at the time. We have to buy this apartment, Mommy. Well, she just graduated. She graduated as an adult. She went back to school, and she graduated from NYU business. Business was up. But at 11 years old, she said, Mommy, you you got to buy this apartment, and that's what happened. But, of course, I had to pay all the back taxes on that money. You cannot go to the bank with money because then the IRS, you know, would ask, well, where'd you get this money from? So I had to pay all, yeah. you know, I was saving this cash money, but I pay, I paid all the back taxes and was able to buy the apartment, you know, put a down payment on it because you had to put down a certain amount of money. You know what I'm saying? That's how I was making money. I was uh, uh, freelancing as a photographer and making jewelry. And one day, guess who walks by me on 57th Street? One of the top designers in, in America, and her name is Carolina Herrera. She's not, she might be oh, American, wow. but she's, Carolina Herrera walked by me, and I recognized her immediately. And she looked at my necklaces, and she said, oh, these are wonderful. And she said, do you have more? I said, yes, because the best things I would leave at home because uh, the police would come and confiscate your goods. So, I, I you know, I didn't want the best stuff to be taken. So I had I had the, the next to the best, let's put it that way. So she, I still have the note. I still have the note that she wrote her name and her address of her salon on 57th Street. And the next day my daughter and I went to her salon and she said, each piece is more magnificent than the last. She told Glamour Magazine that. And do you know I stopped working on the street after that because I realized You've been discovered, so you can't work on the street anymore. And I was glad to not be on the street. I was so happy because I was terrified every time I went out there. <laughs> and I would be out there maybe for two. I wouldn't be out there that long, two or three hours. That's it. And I would make my money and go pack up and go home. But do you know one man came by? It was mostly white women that I was selling to, too. It wasn't black women. It was white women. And one day, um, this white guy, white man came over to me and he said, oh, my God, it's my anniversary. And I forgot that tonight is my anniversary. And he said, I would like to get something for my wife. And I had packaging, girl. I was always into packaging, beautiful shopping bags, tissue paper. I'm, I'm totally into that. So I said, so I can make it look fancy, schmancy, you know. So I said, oh, I said, tell me what your wife looks like. How big is she? How tall is she? Because, you know, if she's short, she can't carry a major piece. So he told me, right. and I said, well, I think she would like this. He bought it, and a couple of days later, Taniqua, he came over to me. He said, you have saved my marriage. I said, really? He said, remember me? I came by. It was my anniversary. He said, when I came home with that necklace, my wife went crazy. He said she was so excited to get this fabulous necklace. And one one time a black woman came over to These are some of the stories. One time a, a, a sort of middle-aged black woman came over to me, kind of plain looking, and she, she bought a necklace for me. And she didn't want to get the bold necklace that I told her to get because I could see she was shy. 
So I said, I think you should get this. She came over to me like a week or two later. She said, I have never gotten attention like I get when I wear your jewelry. She said, men come over to me and say, oh, my God, that is the most beautiful necklace. And she said, I've never got attention like this in my life. No, that's what jewelry does for women. You know, makes them stand out in a crowd. And, you know, Native Americans who made all that fabulous jewelry, Native American jewelry, you know, with the turquoise, they would give the most shy person in the tribe a fabulous piece of jewelry so that they would gain confidence in themselves. So, this, so you know, I had a pretty good career making jewelry, but then I didn't start designing jewelry until 1989. And that's it, guys. Well, at least for this week's episode. But don't worry, we'll be back next week with the rest of Corrine Simpson's story. She's going to get into how she started actually designing jewelry, as well as how the idea for her signature collection, The Black Cameo, came about. And its 30 plus year impact on the fashion industry and the representation of black women. So you don't want to miss next week's episode. And to stay abreast of all things black fashion history, make sure to follow us at Black Fashion History Podcast on Instagram. Check out our website at blackfashionhistory.com. And of course, if you loved what you heard so far in today's episode, give Miss Corina a follow on Instagram at Corrine Simpson, that's C-O-R-E-E-N-S-I-M-P-S-O-N. You won't be disappointed. And most importantly, tune in again next week for part two of Corrine Simpson and another Black Fashion History installment. Bye-bye.